leftovers, or the DMV, or house cleaning, or Chumba Casino always brings the fun. Play over a hundred different games online for free from anywhere. You could redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. Live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. We're prohibited by law. T plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Mobile phone companies say they offer home internet. But if their internet comes from a cell phone network, you should know. It's just phone internet, not home internet. Keep your home up to speed with Cox. Cox Internet is faster and has more reliable download speeds than 5G home internet. Cox is the real home internet you're looking for. Based on Cox analysis of UCLA speed test intelligence data, Q3 2022 and Cox serviceable areas, visit cox.com internet for details. From the era that brought you names like Chamberlain, Russell, and West. The Chamberlain, he's got it! Jerry West made it from the other side of the midcourt strike! To the glory days of Magic and Kareem. Abdul-Jabbar is on the brink of an NBA all-time record. From a time where last-second shots were expected. Here comes Kobe from way outside. Got it! Oh, man! Gets it to LeBron for three for the win. Yes! LeBron James! And rings were handed out like candy. Here's Jordan. It's Duncan Dynasty with your host, Garrett Bougay, and it starts right now. Welcome to Duncan Dynasty. I'm your host, Garrett Bougay, and we have a special guest making his second appearance. It's former SBC alum Stephen Lowe, and uh, Stephen, of course, a a big-time Raptors fan, so we're going to talk a lot of uh, Toronto Raptors today, the the twelve and two Toronto Raptors leading the NBA standings. We're also going to break down the uh, the big news in the NBA from the past couple of days, and that is the Jimmy Butler trade to the Philadelphia 76ers. Stephen, thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for having me back. Yeah, you're uh, you're the first guy that uh, from from SBC that I've that I've had on a second time. So uh, thanks for doing it. Let's get started by uh, by briefly discussing this uh, this blockbuster deal. Uh, you know, the ever since the the near the end of training camp, there's been a lot of talk about uh, Jimmy Butler. Of course, there was all the drama with him scheduling the interview with Rachel Nichols after he uh, kind of chastised his teammates and coaches in practice. There was a lot of questions on whether Thibodeau would trade him because, of course, Thibodeau is really focused on winning. But once the Timberwolves got off to a four and nine start, and Thibodeau realized, oh, even with Butler, we might not win. I think that uh, sort of led to the deal happening. Yeah, no, I uh, I, I agree. I think that um, once he realized that that uh, Jimmy was going to pick and choose what games he's going to play, and you know, not be one hundred percent with the team, I feel like you know that was kind of the last straw for uh, Thibs to uh, make the move there. So, if you haven't heard uh, about the trade, I'll give you the specifics here. It's uh, we've got. Jimmy Butler and Justin Patton, who Patton was the number 16 pick in last year's draft. He was a part of that of that Jimmy Butler trade that uh, the Timberwolves received from the Bulls. And those guys are going to Philadelphia. And in return to going back to Minnesota is Robert Covington, Dario Saric, Jared Bayless, and a second-round pick. 
So, uh, of course, Covington and Saric starting uh, for that Philadelphia 76ers team, and Bayless more as just kind of uh, some filler salary there. But uh, what was your initial impressions of that deal? Uh, well, my initial impressions was, you know, I thought that, you know, I was surprised that uh, Philly was the team that ended up stepping up. Um, I really thought that Jimmy would end up eventually with Miami. I thought that um, that Josh Richardson offer, if it would ever get back on the table, was, uh, I thought that was one of the better offers that, that, that many got. And I thought that, you know, that was kind of better than the Philly offer. But upon thinking about it a little bit more, I, I don't mind this deal for uh, Minnesota. You know, um, anytime you lose a Jimmy Butler, it's going to, you know, hurt your team, and it's hard to say you can win that trade. But I think Philly um, is going to miss uh, the presence of uh, of Robert Covington and Dario's making and shooting. But, uh, you know, picking up a player like Jimmy, and I think that with what Philly was seeing in the East with Milwaukee and Toronto's early performance and knowing that Boston's, uh, you know, not performing team standards, but you know, with all the talent there, I think they felt the pressure to make a move to, you know, make sure that they locked up that third star to pair with uh, with Embiid and Simmons. So I, I understand the uh, the pressure for them to make that move on their side as well. Uh, what did you think about the deal? Well, yeah, the, uh, the 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 Miami trade you're referring to, yeah, included Josh Richardson and and if the rumors are correct, also a first round pick. And I think Miami may have pulled out of that deal because of how well Josh Richardson really started to play for them. And, uh, you know, he's also on a really, really good contract. So, yeah, it uh, uh, it, it was kind of a, a blown opportunity there for Minnesota to pick up kind of a, a young sort of star in the making plus a draft pick. But uh, the uh, cap filler in that deal was Kelly Olynyk too, if, if, that's, if the rumor I read was correct. And I think that, you know, that's another player who, you know, it's not on the best contract, but would give kind of a similar effect to what I think Dario is going to do with uh, next to Cat, where he's going to provide some shooting and spacing around, uh, you know, those stars. So I, I thought that would have been a, a pretty good deal for uh, Minnesota. Right, and uh, you know, you you mentioned that you thought it was a was a decent deal for Minnesota. What what they did end up getting anyway, and and I uh, I kind of agree with you. You know the. Uh, Robert Covington is is really the the perfect type of player you would want to put around a Carl Anthony Townsend and Andrew Wiggins, a couple of guys that are known for their scoring and maybe not for their defense. You know, Covington is a low usage guy that that is a really really good defender, second team uh, all defense if I if I'm remembering that correctly last year. Might have been first team. Might have been first. first. Okay, uh, and and you know he's a guy that's just going to spot up and knock down shots. You know, he really struggled in the playoffs to shoot the basketball, but throughout the regular season last year for Philly, really was a was a knockdown shooter and at high volume as well. Uh, and and yeah, Saric is another guy that you know he's not he's not uh, anything special, but he's a guy that can do a lot of things. You know, he he shot about thirty eight percent from downtown last year. He can post up a little bit if he gets a mismatch. He can pass the basketball. Uh, and you know he's he's not a great defender by any means, but he certainly isn't uh, isn't a, a, a huge liability on that end. So yeah, they they got a couple of guys that you know again started for a Philadelphia team last year that that won fifty plus games. You know so so yeah they they could have done a lot worse. Certainly I don't think there's there's any high upside plays for for Minnesota here, which is the unfortunate thing about you know that that 
them passing on on that Josh Richardson deal is you could have found a guy that maybe could become uh, you know an actual third star, whereas I think Covington and Sarge are more just solid role players. I, I'm not ready to completely write off Sarge yet. Uh, I okay. see some upside with him. Uh, I, I think like I'm one of the guys who are a little bit higher on him. You know, I always pick him up in my on my fantasy teams. <laughs> I I think that uh, he has some playmaking on ball that uh, he showed flashes of when he was playing with the second unit a little bit. And you know, in Philly, when you're with like those high usage ball handlers and uh, Simmons, who you know plays similar position to Sarge as well as you know, Embiid is another high usage guy and. You know, them trying to incorporate Bolts, you know, as that uh, third uh, option early on in the season. He just really didn't have um, the opportunity to break out there, but he'd be a player that I'd be interested in looking at to see, um, you know, maybe if he can get some more touches and running the offense a little bit with the second unit maybe here in uh, in Minnesota to see if, you know, he, he could have some breakout potential there too. Well, yeah, the um, the you know the the concerns about Saric not getting a lot of usage in Minnesota, with, you know, is is interesting because you know with with Towns and Wiggins, those are both high usage players, and you've got right. Jeff Teagan there. But but yeah, I don't know if it has been confirmed or not if uh, if if he is going to be coming off the bench for them. Uh, so yeah, that'll be too. <laughs> right. Yep. Yeah, De- Derek Rose, the guy that uh, seems to be finding a little bit of his uh, his MVP form. Uh, but but yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting to see how uh, how both Saric and Covington fit in to that Minnesota group. Uh, but uh, going back to to Philly, you know you you look at a, a team with Embiid, Simmons, and now Butler all in the fold. What kind of ceiling do you feel like those guys have, and and uh, how do you feel like those three fit together? Yeah, I mean the uh, you know the ceiling is extremely high for those guys, right? I mean. I think that, you know, in, in a best-case scenario, you have um, three guys who are, have elite defensive potential, um, guys who can create their own shot and, uh, you know, makes them extremely difficult to guard um, one-on-one, uh, any of those players, and gives them a lot of options at the end of, uh, end of games for uh, different players to go to. So, you know, I think that, you know, with those three guys, um, Embiid and Simmons being extremely young, uh, Jimmy still having uh, you know a few at least a few more years of his prime left. You know, they're they're poised to make a run um, if they can surround them with the right players. My concern is I just don't know if there's enough shooting there. Right, those uh, three guys. I think that's was the first thing I thought of when uh, you know they've got rid of Covington, who's streaky, but you know one of the better shooters on that team, and then Sarge, who you know this year hasn't been shooting the ball well, but last season was really important for them along with this offseason when they lost Bellinelli and Ilyasova, who were really important for them in the playoffs in terms of spacing for around Simmons and Embiid. I, but that, that would be a concern for me because you know, Jimmy's uh, he's, he's a good three-point shooter, but I don't think he's great. I, I think that he's around league average. Um, correct me if I'm wrong. And then you have you know Simmons and Embiid, who are you know probably below league average three-point shooter. Simmons not even a shooter, so... Uh, I think spacing will be a bit of an issue for these guys. Well, yeah, that's the you know when when you talk about a team ceiling, you know that's one of the the biggest things uh, issues I have with this trio is, you know Butler is who he is. You know he's he's what tw- he's in his late twenties at this stage. You know he's a guy that 
is not, I mean, it would be a, a big surprise if he all of a sudden became a, a significantly better three-point shooter. You know, uh, although some guys have been able to realize that, oh, you know, my role on this particular group is to shoot more threes, so I'll get better at that. So not saying that's completely out of the realm of possibility, but, uh, you know, based on the track record, Jimmy Butler, as you said, is around a league average three-point shooter. Ben Simmons is not a shooter at all at this stage. And Joel Embiid has been a below average three-point shooter. Uh, So... You know, unless you see one of those guys taking a big uptick in terms of not only their volume of their threes, but also their ability to knock them down, you know, even if you've got like a J.J. Redick and another knockdown shooter next to them, you know, in in 2018 in the NBA with teams attempting 40 plus threes a game, a a lot of teams, it uh, it doesn't seem to me like it's... uh, it's a viable championship collection if you've only got two guys that are knockdown shooters out there on the floor. No, I, I, I agree with you. I think that um, uh, you're completely right there. And it's not only just shooting and making them, it's really uh, having the space available for Embiid to be as effective as possible in the post and for Simmons to you know drive and dish and um, do like the playmaking that he wants to do. You know, All three of those players like to live in the paint. And if you don't have the right shooters there, I think a lot of teams, like what we saw with Boston last year in the playoffs, are able to game plan effectively against um, a team like Philly in the playoffs. Yeah, and, you know, Jimmy Butler is a guy that, yeah, lives in the paint and likes to get to the basket and even into that 10 to 15 foot area. And he's never probably been on a team where you not only have a seven foot center that is going to be in the paint. Uh, but uh, another perimeter guy that's going to be uh, pretty much playing in the dunker spot if he doesn't have the ball in his hand. So it's going to be it's going to be a really interesting challenge, and and that leads me kind of to my next question: is you know when you look at this trade, and and obviously Philadelphia is looking at the future and saying, okay, pretty soon we're going to have to pay up for the likes of Ben Simmons, uh, and and that's going to eat into all of our excess cap space so we needed to either get somebody now or this off season before that cap space dries up so you understand what like the the theory here is we need to it's better to get that third guy now and not risk missing out in free agency and then not being able to add somebody to this group uh to the to the simmons and b duo but at the same time you know, you, you trade away two starters in Covington and Sarich, and the third guy you get isn't necessarily the greatest fit. So what are your thoughts in terms of uh, of that choice that uh, that Elton Brand and the, the Sixers staff made? Right. No, I mean, uh, you know, I, I agree with you there. I mean, it's uh, it, it was clear that they had a choice to make. Um, you know, I don't know how real they believe their shot at LeBron this offseason was. Right, because that was you know the rumor of what they were saving their space for. You know maybe they thought they had a chance at LeBron or Paul George or or Kawhi, and you know any of those guys would have been you know potentially better fit than Jimmy Butler. But you know the question is, is there a player that they could have targeted this off season who you know is better than Jimmy Butler? I don't know the answer to that. Like I you know like 
uh, if they could have gone like a Clay Thompson or a Kevin Durant to commit, then that's that's one thing. But I, I would probably peg that as low likelihood. So, um, you know, maybe they looked at the situation and thought, you know, if we can get Jimmy now, um, you know, costs us a few assets, but it gives us a better chance to commit to compete both this season. And it seemed like Jimmy was going to sign with whatever team he had. You know, he ended up getting traded to. It seems like he really emphasized that fifth year. So maybe they thought that there was no, you know, better um, option for them to uh, make a deal than uh, to, to make a deal and get someone like Jimmy. And they, maybe they saw that, you know, keeping guys like Robert Covington and Dario Saric, who are effective players, but Dario would eventually need to get paid as well. And uh, Covington uh, just recently signed that contract that, you know, they were guys that. They would eventually have to jettison for cap reasons to uh, get that third star. So I understand the move from them. Um, I'm just curious, you know, if they how much of this was driven from the fact that they, you know, kind of felt like they maybe didn't push hard enough to get to you know enter that Kawhi sweepstakes, for example, this summer, and you know not getting um, missing out on a star in the summer, uh, pushing them to make a deal now. You know, I, uh, I I totally understand their reasoning and everything, but I'm I'm very much on the side of I I probably wouldn't have done this deal, and and a big part of that not only involves the idea that you lose Covington and Sarich, and and uh, you know you basically are going to be as long as Butler resigns, you're going to be using your your excess salary cap space on him, but. Even in the event that they miss out on, say, a Kawhi Leonard and a Kevin Durant and a Clay Thompson, you know, they there's still you know lower guys that they could have technically overpaid that were better fits than Butler. You know, even a guy like Chris Middleton, I think, would have been a, a terrific fit. And and then you're talking about a combination of having Middleton, Sarich, and Covington versus just Jimmy Butler. And if and if you ask me, would you rather have those three guys, or even somebody not quite as good as Middleton, but just a guy that you know can knock down shots and at least hold up somewhat defensively? Uh, those three versus Butler, I I would take the uh, the former every time. No, I I, I totally get it. Uh, I guess like the uh, the question was, I guess they had to weigh it how much of a chance they had a shot at those guys. And, you know, I, I agree that I think that if they had a shot at Middleton, um, I think that that is a better fit, especially when you get to keep uh, Robert Covington. I just don't know, like, like past Middleton, like, what, who are the free agents that you're looking at that, um, you know, would complement them uh, better than Jimmy Butler would? Right, yeah, I'd have to I'd have to take a more extensive look at, at right. the, uh, the, the available free agents. Looking at uh, the rest of the Sixers roster and a, and a key player as well is uh, you know Markel Fultz. How do you imagine? And and I don't know if you know if you saw the the highlight from I believe it was Monday night's game with his free throw where it looked like uh, he had this huge hesitation in it and it seemed like he reverted back to last season and the and the shooting That's issues hard. he had. How do you envision? the Butler edition affecting Fultz and, and his ability to, to continue to get time on the floor and, and continue to develop? Uh, I, I mean, I, I don't want to over-speculate on what's going on with Fultz, but, you know, something seems like it's off again, um, whether that's injury or the yips or whatever they want to call it. I think that if Fultz was, you know, outperforming what they were expecting from him this season, they wouldn't have made this trade. 
to be honest. Um, yeah. I think that they kind of looked at this and said, you know what, like Jimmy Butler, we, we, we need to bring someone in because Fultz is not going to pan out, is not panning out to be that third option um, that we wanted. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, later on the season, if they decide to, you know, they need to add another piece and, you know, Fultz is kind of that asset that, you know, a team might be interested in. I just don't see Philly wanting to compete now, how they can kind of let Fultz play through this when they're having, you know, these, you know, what we already discussed, these spacing issues. Like, how do you trot out Fultz and then try to shoot his way out of this um, and work on his game when, uh, you know, every win or loss could really matter for uh, how the seeding plays out um, at the end of the season in, in the East that's suddenly uh, a lot tougher, especially at the top, uh, at the top of the East at least. Yeah, that's the that's the other thing that uh, I don't think a lot of people are are talking about when it comes to this Butler deal is that it really does, as you mentioned, put Philly into win now mode. When, in my mind, you know, given that Simmons and Embiid are are so young still that they should be looking at, you know, hitting their peak in in three or four seasons. But now it's it's very much, oh, Jimmy Butler again in his late twenties. He's in his prime right now. And you know, you you look at a guy like Fultz, and, and your thought that uh, you know they they might trade him, I, I wouldn't be shocked at that. But it, it it really has pushed the timetable up quite a bit for for this Philly team. The other the other thing with uh, with the trade too is you know I assume Minnesota probably wasn't interested in Fultz, but right. but given the salaries, you know I, I would have rather if I'm Philly thrown Fultz in that deal and kept Covington if possible. But and, and that's crazy to say, given that Fultz is just a year away from from being the number one uh, overall pick. It's uh, it's really a, a sad drop that he has had. Yeah, I, I don't think I don't think many would have done that. I think that uh, you know, Tibbs wanting to compete now. Uh, I think Robert Covington's going to slot in really nicely for them. Well, and Covington's uh, also on a on a pretty great contract as well. So I think he was the big get there. I, I, I'm curious though. Like, do you think if they made this, you know, if they made the offer um, to San Antonio for you know Sarage, uh, Covington, and Fultz for Kawhi, that would have trumped the Raptors' offer? I don't think so. I just think you know the the Spurs were were also looking for very much for win now players, and I, I don't think any of those guys are. Uh, anywhere near DeMar DeRozan's level, so I no. just, I yeah, I, I don't think it would. Mm-hmm. I'm just curious, because, you know, that would have really swung the power, I think, because um, I think Kawhi would just fit so well with those guys, with the spacing and defense that he would have provided for them, but, you know, I, I don't know who's the, the team that's going to step up and, you know, be interested in faults, you know, I would assume there's still teams out there you know, for the right price that they would take a flyer on him, especially as a former number one pick and not 100% sure, you know, what the issues are. Uh, you know, for a team that's not um, in the uh, contention or even in like a, you know, deep playoff race, like I, I can see them, you know, just trotting him out there for 25 minutes a game and seeing what he can do out there. Yeah, I'm, I'm almost of the belief that, uh, if if you were to acquire Fultz, and and I think Philly should also deal with him this way, is uh, you know he shouldn't be playing if if he can't shoot the basketball, if he's got if he still has a mental issue with his jump shot, he should not be playing, and there 
there should be 100% focus on getting him in the gym and working out the kinks of that jump shot until it is perfect and until it is at the point where you can say, oh, this shot is just as it was when he was leaving college and, and literally don't let him play until that moment happens. You know, we were we might have discussed this together when we were in summer league, but I was shocked that Philly didn't have him out there. Um, you know, it seems like the perfect environment for him to work through his shots and you know against a lower level opponent. And if if it's a confidence issue, you know, you can go out there and dominate and build build your confidence, right? If it's cause he looked great last year summer league before he had his uh, injury, so I uh, that was for me, you know, really surprising that they didn't trot him out there. And, you know, it's it's obviously a sensitive topic to send him to, to the G League, but I think that, you know, for a player like him, you, maybe it's what, it, you know, like uh, a lot of great players have sent, been sent out to the G League and uh, worked their way back uh, into the NBA. So I, I don't think that's the worst place for him to just get out there and get game reps because it seems like that's, that's the issue, um, that a lot of it's in-game that he's having these issues. So I, I'm not sure what's the best solution, but I, I think they need to you know, explore all options. Yeah, I feel like uh, as as an NBA, as the NBA community as a whole, we need to get over this idea that sending people to the G League is, is somehow diminishing them as a player or something. You know, a lot of these players are coming in at 19 years old and, and their rookie seasons, they just aren't good. I, I really don't understand the problem with sending a guy to the G League their first you know, most guys at nineteen, I think, should should spend a good chunk of time in in that league. You know, putting on my Homer hat here, uh, Pascal Siakam was a right. Example. He spent a significant amount of time in the G League in his rookie season. Raptors nine oh five. Yeah, yeah, he started out. Uh, he started out starting. You know, had his ups and downs, and you know, like uh, as the season progressed, and they traded for Serge Ibaka, he pulled the rotation, but went down to the G League and. You know, I, I really think he developed down there. He, you know, a lot of credit goes to Jerry Stackhouse, who was the head coach of the, of the 905 um, or the Raptors G League team at that time. But he developed a lot of these guys. You know, Fred Van Vliet was spent a significant amount of time down there. Uh, DeLon Wright, Norman Powell. A lot of these guys are now, you know, rotation players for the Raptors. And they spent a lot of time in the G League developing. So, you know, I, I don't see why other teams um, don't really try to emulate that model and Use the use the G League to develop these, you know, first round picks, second round picks, undrafted players, and you know, have them play the style that they want them to learn, so that, you know they're ready when uh, they get that call up uh, to, to play significant you know, rotation minutes uh, when uh, when they're ready to join the, the big team. You know, I'm not even sure why I'm hosting this show because that was a perfect segue into our next uh, subject, which is the Toronto Raptors. The Raptors, as I mentioned at the beginning, are uh, are, are twelve and two. And leading the NBA uh, record-wise, and Kawhi Leonard through uh, uh, through 14 games has uh, has sat out four, uh, so played 10 games total. But uh, so far, averaging 24 points, uh, 7.7 rebounds, 1.6 steals, shooting over 38% from three, 58.4% uh, true shooting. How has uh, how has Kawhi looked to you, Stephen, throughout uh, the start of this season? Kawhi's been been fantastic, you know. Like I, I spent some time, you know, watching him. I guess two seasons ago was his last full season, and you know, that was really. I think that, I think that was the first season, maybe the second season. They took a big step, but that was the first season where I feel like 
know, he was getting the ball a little bit more in isolation spots and, and you know, doing what he could. But I think he even looks, you know, that he's improved on his ball handling and his you know, creating shots for himself and others. Like, this is, he's better than I expected, which, you know, uh, was came as a shock to me because I was expecting him to be a great player. But, um, you know, he's come as advertised. He plays hard defense. And what's crazy is that, you know, I still feel like he's, you know, a step slow and he's not fully, you know, there yet. And he's not, doesn't, he made a comment that, you know, he doesn't know the full offensive playbook yet. So he still, you know, looks a little lost out there sometimes when he's putting out, you know, the numbers you just read out. So, uh, yeah, I, I've been, uh, pleasantly surprised with him and you know, just really excited to see you know how he gets as the season progresses um but without the homework goggles on it how have you uh, seen out of Kawhi yeah I mean the uh a lot of people going into the year were saying oh you know what's Kawhi gonna be is he gonna look like 70 percent 80 percent I would say he's he's 90 plus percent in terms of what he looked like in San Antonio you know he's looked He's looked really good. He he hasn't looked like the defensive player of the year, but he's looked like an All NBA defensive player. Right. Uh, and and offensively, you know, he um, he's he's got a high usage, over twenty nine percent usage rate. He's he's knocking down shots from all over the floor. He isn't uh, to me. He isn't getting to the hoop quite as much as he did in his San Antonio days. I'll actually have to to look at those numbers to see if that uh, if that's true. That's just uh, off of the eye test. But uh, you know he's uh, he certainly looks really really close, and and he is uh, he's really fit in pretty nicely, and, and and I think the 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 fact that this Raptors team is mostly the same except for uh, the uh, the absence of Demar Derozan, Kawhi's kind of just been able to fill that role as far as the usage rate is concerned, and and slide right in there. Yeah, I mean he's uh, he's taking a lot of. Uh, DeMar's isolation possessions and, um, you know, just kind of taking over for his usage, but he's a much more efficient player. And, you know, I think that um, his efficiency will improve. And uh, you're right, you know, around the rim, he's just kind of, feels like he's lacking a little bit of explosion um, to really uh, finish around the rim right now. And, you know, I'm not sure if that's just from, you know, like not playing five on five basketball for, you know, such a long time. Or if he's, you know, still a little bit working back from, you know, whatever injuries he had. Um, but I think that once that comes back, he's he's already drawing double teams and, you know, still scoring at the rate that he is. So I think that once he figures that out, um, figures out the offense a little bit to, you know, uh, move the ball um, to the right spots and, you know, pick out his spots a little bit better, like, it, it's just, it's just going to get better. I mean, he's playing, you know, like MVP caliber basketball and, I think that uh, he's fitting in great with the team, and uh, you know, seems like that he's. Uh, I think he's nine and one in the games that he's played, so you know, he's clearly making the biggest half of winning. Yeah, the um, looking at the numbers, his last healthy season in San Antonio, he averaged seven point two free throw attempts, and this year he's at six point five. So uh, closer to that number than I thought. So he he is getting to the to the basket, but as you said, it it does kind of feel like he's he's lacking a little bit of that explosion uh, around the hoop. But uh, you know, I, I referenced those four games that he has he has missed so far. Is that something that uh, that fans should maybe be concerned about, or do you think that's just the the Raptors organization being uh, extra cautious, given that uh, Kawhi had so many health issues last year? 
Yeah, I, I don't think um, I'd be overly concerned right now. They kind of made a statement earlier in the season that you know he was going to sit some back to backs. You know, it, the, the Raptors' schedule started a little bit busier with like three and four nights. I think was the beginning, and then you know he was planning to sit out just one game on that uh, West Coast road trip, but ended up jamming his foot, which is uh, a new injury to me. I haven't heard that one. But, <laughs> yeah, uh, it just looked like he twisted his ankle, but uh, jammed foot was the diagnosis, and. Uh, he ended up sitting both games of the back-to-back due to that. So, you know, I, I wouldn't read uh, too much into it. Um, you know, what was my... A uh, little bit of the concern was, you know, ever since he's come back from that injury, it seems like, uh, you know, I already mentioned that he's kind of laughable with explosion and he was getting on such a good role before that. So, you know, I, I just hope that um, it doesn't affect his rhythm too much going forward. But, you know, he's... Uh, if he continues to sit out games later in the season, maybe I'd be a little bit more concerned. But right now, I think it's early. Um, they're really focused on maintenance. And, you know, it was such an issue for him uh, when he was in San Antonio that I think that the Raptors are just going to do whatever it takes to cater to him. And, you know, hopefully him and his camp, you know, appreciate that. So I feel there's a little bit of that going on, too. Um, so I wouldn't be – I'm not too concerned about it right now, but – Maybe in 30, 40 games, you can check back in with me and see if that's still uh, the case there. Yeah, the, um, the the other big uh, big reason the Raptors have had so much success this year, you've got to look at a guy like Kyle Lowry, who uh, you know is arguably having one of his best seasons of his career so far, averaging over 16 points, 11 assists a game, 4 rebounds, 1.4 steals, and uh, he's got a true shooting percentage of uh, over 61%. So Lowry has been uh, has been a, a terrific Robin to Kawhi's Batman, but you know, looking at his previous career high in assists being seven point four, where is he getting those extra assists? What's leading to that uh, that big jump in that number? I think that uh, you know, by the looks of it, it's like his teammates are making shots, so that's you know very big. Um, Nick Nurse, I think, has you know did an excellent job in, in making this. Uh, change, which you know, a lot of uh, you know, I feel like a lot of hardcore Raptor fans have kind of been pushing for is you know, moving Serge Ibaka to center, which is you know, at this point in his career, his more natural position, um, and inserting uh, Pascal Siakam into that starting lineup, uh, having Danny Green as another 40% shooter there. I think it just created a lot more space for Larry, and also you know, having him separated from uh, DeMar, even though you know, Kawhi is a high usage player too, I think that. Uh, just putting the ball a little bit more into Kyle's hands and putting him in less of a spot of being a spot-up shooter on a lot of these possessions and uh, letting him run more pick-and-rolls, I think that that's really uh, allowed him to you know, have some uptick of assists. Uh, I don't think that he'll maintain 11 assists throughout the rest of the season, but it was really good to see him you know, getting teammates involved uh, just to start the season and you know having... Surge and even JV when he's playing with him off the bench, uh, you know, involving the big men a lot, and I think that that's really translated to a lot of these wins. Yeah, you know, the you can't understate the impact of having Danny Green and Kawhi Leonard out there as guys that off the ball right. can knock down shots, and when Lowry kicks it to him, you know, those guys are reliably hitting them, which contributes to those assist numbers and and also yeah the the speed of play i've noticed uh, they they seem to be running nick nurse seems to be uh, uh prioritizing transition offense as well yeah they really seem to be pushing the ball 
a lot, especially you know, even off makes or misses. You know, they push that ball off the court right away, and you know whether it's you know Lowry or Leonard or sometimes even Siakam, it's just you know whoever has the ball is really bringing it up outside of you know, Serge or JD. You know, any of the other players you know can lead the break, which I think is really letting them get into that offense early. And you know, a lot of times catching defenses napping and uh, getting easy and quick scores. You brought up the fact that uh, they're playing surge more at uh, more at center, and it seems like Nurse is is depending on the matchup. You know, if the other team plays more of a traditional five, he'll go with uh, with Jonas Valanciunas, and if they play more of like the Warriors style or the Pelicans style, he'll go with the more athletic front line with Ibaka at the five. Uh, but uh, but Sergi Baca seems to be the biggest beneficiary of that change, and uh, he seems to be thriving in that center role. So far this year, he's averaging 17.4 points, 8.4 rebounds, uh, and uh, shooting 57.6% from the field. And uh, surprisingly, he's not uh, he's not shooting as much from uh, from the three point line. He's uh, kind of playing more in the paint area. Yeah, you know, he, he had obviously the, that amazing game against the Lakers and uh, followed up with another great game against Utah where just didn't feel like he was missing out there. Um, and I think that, you know, when he's establishing himself in the paint, you know, he's already shown that he's a, a, a you know a good shooter and he's even better from the mid-range. So I think that, uh, you know, for him to just go inside out, um, you know, running a lot more of the pick and rolls rather than spotting up around you know, uh, Lowry JV or last year DeMar JV pick and rolls that, you know, he's now kind of the main role man that he's much more involved in the offense. And I think that that's really um, allowed him to get back to, you know, his bread and butter of being a bit of a rim diver, a pick and pop guy, you know, with a lot of space around him that it's it's allowed him to kind of have a bit of a renaissance here. Yeah, he, he certainly has been has been pretty amazing, and I think the the center position just suits him more. You know, the back in his prime in Oklahoma City, uh, the NBA was a lot different. There was a lot less three point shooting. That was a lot less of a priority, and you know he had the increased athleticism at uh, at a younger age. So the the four position kind of suited him perfectly. But uh, as he's gotten older, and as he's declined athletically, and as the league has has spread out a little bit, it seems like it's it's perfect for him to just go to the five. And, and I feel like that for a lot of power forwards, a lot of guys that used to be a traditional power forward are now ending up being, uh, you know, more comfortable at that center position. Yeah, it feels like everyone's kind of shifted down a position, um, which is unfortunate for traditional centers. For, <laughs> right, for they're shifted to the, to the bench is where this traditional centers are being shifted to. Exactly. I mean, like, I, I look at the Raptors roster and Greg Monroe, Know, two or three years ago was a top free agent get for Milwaukee, right? And now he's, you know, a third string center because he's his uh you know, he's aged a bit, but a lot of it's just, you know, in today's NBA it's tough to have these slower traditional big men and get them in the game. Um but, you know, with with Ibaka, you know, I think you're completely right there and you know, for him, you know, defensively to be more around the rim where, you know, taking advantage of what I think is one of his bigger strengths is his shot blocking and rim protection. You know, instead of chasing around some of these quicker fours around the perimeter, I think that that's really um, been able to you know allow him to be a much more effective player on the court. Well, yeah, he um, he certainly he's always had 
had pretty good touch from that uh, you know five foot range or so on little floaters and push shots and and just being at the center position I think puts him in more positions to to snag offensive rebounds and be able to get those sorts of putbacks and, and plays like that uh, and and when he receives the ball in the pick and roll as the roll man you know the floor is uh, incredibly spaced for him uh, you know we mentioned a couple of things in terms of Nick Nurse you know the the fact that he he sometimes is starting Ibaka at the five I noticed in their last game against New Orleans that uh that he even went with uh, with a zone in the second half for a little bit uh, as they as they were struggling defensively. So he he certainly has been uh, as he suggested uh, when he was hired that he was going to do a little bit more uh, experimentation. Uh, but uh, what has been your impression of Nick Nurse early on, and what are some of the things you've noticed that uh, that are different from the the Dwayne Casey era? to see you know in terms of experimenting with lineups that he hasn't really uh he hasn't really done too much of yet is is playing OG Ananobi at the four uh you know of course Siakam has has played really well as the starting power forward I think the the game against New Orleans was his third consecutive 20-point performance so he certainly is uh, is earning that starting job and, and maintaining that but but being able to see lineups with uh with three wings out there in green leonard and ananobi i think certainly those lineups are gonna have to be used come playoff time no i i, I agree and you know he's uh he's played he started ananobi a few games but it seems like he paired him with uh valentinus uh, i think that might have been just one or two games but well yeah and og uh, has started when when kawhi has been out most of the time yeah, exactly. And so, so he's you know he started a couple games, but you know he hasn't really got a chance to run uh, with you know a lineup with you know Serge and you, know, you mentioned Green and uh, Kawhi on the wings. So you know that that'll be an interesting. 
interesting thing to look for. You know, I, at the beginning of the season, I, I actually wanted that to be the starting lineup because I thought, you know, Pascal with his uh, playmaking and um, some of his improvement that, you know, he'd be great to be on the bench unit to be that spark plug and help you know, run the offense a little bit there off the bench. But, you know, he's definitely earned his starting role and he's really showing that, you know, with his defensive versatility that, he, you know, he's very useful out there. Um, but, you know, I, I would like to see that, you know, he showed him a little bit of a lineup um, kind of in the fourth when the Raptors were a little bit stagnant there and tried to put together a bit of a comeback where he played Siakam at the five and uh, had OG and Kawhi out there with him. But that's another lineup that, you know, I think that you know, he's put out there once and I'd want to see it a little bit more to see, you know, what that lineup looks like with, you know, five, like four out of the five players. You know, even Lowry can kind of hold his own against some larger wings, you know, who can switch around and you know, play, like, this really pesky style defense, uh, although, you know, giving up some size there. But that's a, another look that I think, you know, could be really useful in the playoffs, too. Yeah, talking more about that that game you were referencing against New Orleans this past Monday, uh, there, there were a couple of things that uh, that concerned me. One being, you know, Etwan Moore went for, I believe, 30, which uh, wouldn't shock me if that was a career high for him. Uh, but uh, and, and, you know, he was hitting some tough shots, but, but they ran the, the same action over and over again where Moore was kind of in the corner and he would get a, a down screen and he would curl into the paint and get a pass from, from the, the guard up top. And the Raptors continued to just play that traditionally and not switch, which gave more the advantage going to the hoop for either a floater or a, you know a 15 foot pull up and you know if the if the, the help defense came too far he could dish it off to the big man but uh, they they got beat over and over on that play and and I think a large part of that just comes down to the fact that if you were to have more of those switchy lineups that you referenced you could take that play away yeah I think a lot of it was you know the, they were obviously very concerned with um, you know AD being that diving big man to, uh, you know, switch a guard up to him uh, there, but yeah, I agree with you, you know, that's not something that should happen, and, you know, Eton Moore, you know, maybe then that little 10-foot floater wasn't in his scouting report, but uh, I don't think he'll be hitting, like, an absurd percentage on those again, but I, I agree that, you know, some of these defensive schemes, I think, need to be tightened up a little bit, and, you know, that I think that when Drew was getting caught there, and he's a little bit... How tall is Drew? He's like 6'6", six, six, I think. So I think he's 6'4", um, 6'5", six, six, maybe 6'5", six, yeah. Yeah, so, okay, so not, not as big as I thought, but, you know, he seems to be a little bit longer, and, you know, he was able to kind of get around Lowry. Um, you know, I would have liked to see them throw, you know, Danny Green on him a little bit earlier just to give him a different look when he was getting caught like that. And, you know, having Lowry, who's a little bit more stout, uh, you know, being the guy chasing around more to keep him, out of that painted area. So I think there's some switches to be made, but, um, you know, hopefully Nurse, will, we'll see, I guess, if Nurse is able to make those adjustments. But, you know, that's definitely something uh, noted that was kind of concerning that they were able to kind of uh, beat them from going into the paint like that. You, you brought up the uh, the Lowry Holiday matchup, and then that was the other that was the other negative thing from the Raptors game on Monday that I that I wanted to bring up. It seemed like uh, you know, and and obviously Drew Holiday, one of the better defensive players in the league, and and Anthony Davis also one of the best defensive player of the year. So maybe this is just a New Orleans problem and not a league wide problem. 
but they uh-huh. seem to do a good job of slowing down Kyle Lowry in terms of Holiday would pick him up, you know, beyond the half court line, make sure Lowry couldn't hit any of those or get a lot of those pull up threes that he's been he's been feasting on in the early going of this season. And uh, you know, I think when when teams have uh, have run traditional pick and roll coverages against Lowry, Lowry's really been able to 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 pick those apart. But against New Orleans switching defense, he didn't really have a lot of answers. Yeah, yeah, I think you know, an element of that was you know him just not making some shots that you usually should make. Um, but also, I think that that's big. Uh, you know, AD was a guy who was really stifling uh, some of this pick and roll action that's been the Raptors been so successful with um, in terms of you know shutting down passing lane to, uh, to that you know that. Uh, Lowry likes to make those little passes to surge and also being able to kind of switch out if Lowry's tried to pull up um, or step back for three, which you know, he loves to do too. But, you know, that, it'll be interesting to see other teams try to do that. Uh, I think most teams, like you mentioned, won't have that personnel. Um, but, yeah, like that was definitely uh, a method that they used to kind of shut down Lowry at the point of attack that would really uh, stop the Raptors from getting going, or uh, especially early on. Well, and uh, you know, I, I don't want to be too harsh on Kyle because again, he's had a he's had a great early season, and that was one poor game. And and frankly, the Raptors' defense was probably the biggest reason they weren't able to to, to win that game. But uh, but looking at uh, at Danny Green, you know, you, you mentioned you were you saw some of that uh, that Utah game in which Kawhi didn't play, it, and I can't say I, I've seen too many of the the, the Raptors' action with. Uh, without Kawhi out there, but in the event that Kawhi isn't playing, you know the lineups that I've noticed they've gone with uh, has been basically the, uh, the the lineup of like a, of Kyle Lowry, Danny Green, OG, and Anobi, and and again depending on what center they go with, Siakam and uh, and Ibaka or Siakam and Valanciunas. Uh, but uh, it, it's kind of an interesting test case in terms of it's a very similar lineup to what they had last year, except. With Danny Green instead of uh, instead of Demar Derozan, uh, how how have you felt that those lineups have fared so far? So I think those uh, those lineups have actually done uh, fairly well, and um, I think a lot of that's just to do with you know the Lowry, who's you know much more comfortable you know running the offense, um, being able to kind of pick apart these teams, you know being surrounded by you know three or four shooters, and you know uh, having. Uh, Surge being as effective as he's been, and even uh, JV, you know, he's been very effective off the bench and is in a more limited role of being a very efficient player. I think that you know, he's really been able to pick up, pick apart uh, teams in the early going um, with the with these lineups, especially you know with you know, Danny, who's who's been shooting the ball well, and OG, who's you know a little bit streaky, but you know is also a threat from outside. I think that that's um, an opportunity uh, has, has really given a uh, Lowry opportunities to, you know, kind of showcase some of this playmaking. Um, so I, you know, I, I like those lineups. Um, you know, I, I think the ball has actually moved really well when Kawhi's been out. So I think that that's you know, you know, a sign for improvement or maybe some concern that you know Kawhi's as supremely talented as he's been. You know, he's he's a, a bit of a ball stopper on offense, which you know it's it's fine because he's a he's a great isolation player. Um, but you know, I, I've mentioned this earlier. As the season goes along, I want to see him becoming more integrated with the offense and you know, playing a little bit more within the flow of it, and you know, getting a lot of easy baskets for his teammates because of the gravity that he pulls onto himself. 
but yeah, the games that he's been out, like what we've seen is, you know, Lowry's really been able to just kind of pick apart teams with like all the weapons that he has when he's uh, playing out there with uh, all these shooters around him. Yeah, and you know, guys like you mentioned, uh, OG and Siakam, who've been out there. You know, they they haven't, each of them haven't haven't shot particularly well. They're they're both around thirty one percent for the season, but it seems like both of them, at the very least, are doing what you would want out of guys when they get open corner threes, which is they're shooting them with uh, with confidence and uh, not hesitating whatsoever. Yeah, that's exactly right, and you know. For a guy like Siakam, who has been able to create so much off the bounce, and you know, I think he's shooting like an absurd like seventy-two percent from two-point range. You know, like uh, it just opens up the game so much for him. And you know, for OG, who shot I think a little bit better from three last year, but uh, similarly so, you know, he's uh, showing some flashes of being you know a great defensive player. You know, if either of these guys can develop consistent, you know, even league average three-point shots, you know, it, it makes the Raptors a lot more. So one of the uh, on the on the Monday broadcast against the Pelicans, it was one of the NBA TV's players only broadcasts, and oh, right, right. and uh, and Jason Terry was was one of the one, was one of the uh, commentators on the game, and and one of the viewers asked him the question, "Do you think that Pascal Siakam can become an All Star?" And uh, his answer was, and and he answered uh, pretty emphatically and quickly, uh, "No." Uh, but uh, I wanted to I wanted to hear your take on on that question. Uh, so can he become an all star? I would say yes. Um, you know, like I don't, whether that happens this season. Uh, that's you know, if he keeps it up like this, he'll have an outside shot. But it'll be tough. You know, Raptors would have to be a one seed. You know, they have to be winning by a pretty wide margin, and he has to kind of keep putting up these twenty point games. Um, but you know, I, I think absolutely he could develop into a, an all star player, and you know. I'll fully admit I have some homer glasses when I watch Seattle. You know, I mentioned you know he's a guy who went from you know late first round pick from you know New Mexico State, which is you know not considered a, a, a college powerhouse by any, any means. Um, so, you know, playing in the G League, you know, winning the G League championship, and, you know, getting the MVP there, to becoming you know a consistent contributor off the bench last season for Raptors, and then putting in a ton of work this season and. You know, in this offseason and coming in and you know, making a difference defensively, uh, being able to you know, create off the bounce, you know, create for his teammates and just be a highly efficient player. You know, he reminds me a lot of like, you know, I, the Draymond Green comparison gets thrown out a lot. I don't think he's quite like that. He, he kind of reminds me more of like a, a you know, like a kind of the role that Iguodala has been playing for the Warriors, but, you know, obviously, like, much more raw. It's um, so like an older Iguodala. I feel like that's kind of been a little bit of his impact. I'm obviously not as versatile as a defender yet, but, you know, he's got a role like that, you know, and he's young and in the East. I, I don't see why he couldn't develop into an all-star, especially if the Raptors keep rolling and he's averaging, you know, right now he's averaging 14 points a game, but, you know, the past week he's averaged around 20. I completely agree with you. I uh, I I almost think the uh, I understand your comparison to Iguodala and uh, and to Draymond because he he does seem to have you know the the athleticism to do multiple things defensively, 
and you know he's got that versatility offensively. But but I see him as more again if he if he were to get to that All Star level, it, it'd be more because I think he could become a, a, a twenty point per game scorer. I think he's got that ability. You know, Jason Terry also commented that he uh, he often goes to the spin move during the broadcast, which is definitely true. But he can spin both directions. Uh, and and he's such a good athlete, he can get the ball and move. And and you've seen just in a couple of years how much he's improved his ball handling, his passing, and his and his uh, and his shooting ability. Uh, if those continue to progress, uh, and and he becomes a at least an average uh, jump shooter, and he continues to to work on that ball handling and and even some post moves. Yeah, I think he's a guy that that could average twenty points a game, and and that certainly gets you into all star consideration. You know, like the one that I throw around with my friends actually is, uh, you know, who he reminds me of is a, uh, he reminds me of a young uh, Andre Kirilenko with uh, the Utah Jazz. Ooh, I like that. I like that yeah, a lot. Yeah, kind of like lanky, like kind of looks like he's throwing himself around there a little bit out of control, but just you know, getting to the basket and you know, making plays for others and making it uh, a, a big impact on the defensive end. I think that you know, you know, a lot of people don't remember you know how great of a player Kirilenko was in those years, and I think he. I think he made an all-star team uh, in his Utah years. I can't remember exactly, but that, that's a player that I think that he reminds me of as well. Well, and Kirilenko was was certainly a uh, an underrated athlete as well. Um, yeah. You know, not only with the length, but I'm going to look up and see if he uh, made an all-star team because that's a good that's a really good question, and I'm not sure myself. Uh, but uh, he did make an all-star team in his third year. Okay. He was 22. Averaging 16.5 points, uh, 8 rebounds, 3 assists, 1.9 steals, and 2.8 blocks. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, but, you know, the maybe the maybe the blocks uh, and steals might be a little bit out of Pascal's range, but certainly right. the, the points and the, and the rebounds are, are certainly within grasp. Uh, yeah. What, uh, you know, the, the Raptors obviously last season were – uh, you know, a, a lot of the credit for their 59-win team went to the bench. What has been your thoughts on on the bench production this year? So far, though, you know, you've had Fred Van Fleet and uh, DeLon Wright both uh, miss a couple of games at various times. Yeah, I think that the injuries have definitely been an issue. And now, you know, Norman Powell is, is uh, injured as well with a dislocated shoulder. Um CJ Miles shooting has been an issue all uh, season. You know, luckily it hasn't really, you know, affected their their, their winning or, or ability to even you know, pull out these games. But I think that you know he's you know a streaky three point shooter and you know, he shot forty percent a couple seasons ago for Indiana. And I think that you know he's probably close to thirty six, thirty seven percent shooter um, from outside. But yeah, he's really to that unit as well. And I think that you know as Delon and Fred. Um, get healthy, you know, those are guys who are also playmakers who, um, you know, can uh, create for themselves and defend and uh, score. So I think that those are kind of guys that um, are going to be really important for them. Uh, I've really liked what I've seen from DeLon Wright this year. I think that his three-point shooting has improved. Uh, I haven't actually checked his numbers. I'm going to pull that up right now, actually. See how he's shooting from. 40% on 1.7 attempts per game. Uh, yeah, not, not bad, right? He, he takes the ones that he knows he can make. He usually takes, you know, set shots, um, catch and shoot, and he's not hesitating to take them either. So, I mean, that's... Uh, it's not like that, that was a big improvement for him. And, you know, Fred VanVleet last year, you know, was a much better shooter too. So I think these guys are going to you know, keep getting better. And, um, 
Yeah, it's crazy. You know, they both both of them are fairly young. Delon's twenty six, so he's a little bit older, but Fred's uh, twenty four. And you know, uh, Norman Powell signed that big contract a couple of years ago, but he's a guy that you know I was hoping would have a bounce back season, but um, you know, unfortunately, unfortunately, he's been uh, injured. So, but, you know, I think the, the bench has been better. The you know the bench unit that was so strong last season is a little bit weakened just from the fact that. Uh, Pascal Siakam, uh, who was so important to it, got shifted to the front line. Um, but you know those guys have been performing, and you know JV off the bench has been has been great too. I think he's averaging you know, 13 points and 19 minutes a game, so can't really uh, ask much for much more from him. Right, and you know the the idea you mentioned CJ Miles struggling, shooting just 27.3 percent from downtown this year so far. Uh, you know he. Um, the the addition of Green and Leonard though kind of makes it a little bit easier for the the Raptors to absorb him and maybe not play him at all, uh, right. you know because they've got a little bit more depth at uh, at that at those wing positions. Yeah, no, exactly right. They they have the depth where they don't need him. Um, but you know it, it'd be nice to have a, a sniper off the bench who can come in and uh, you know just shoot them uh, into blowouts like like he did sometimes last year. Um, but yeah, he's he's been struggling this year, you know. But he's a professional shooter, and I think that you know guys like that who are streaky, you know, you don't you don't kind of give up on him um, just because he's proven it so much in the past. But if his struggles kind of continue into the playoffs, you know, he probably won't be in the rotation just because of uh, his defensive limitations. Right, but when when he's out there, you certainly can't tell that he's struggling because he still flings them all up. Uh, but uh, <laughs> I uh, so I've got one final question for you. You know when we when we originally uh, discussed the the Kawhi trade back before the season, you were still kind of under the impression. I believe I've got this right that uh, that Boston was still the slight favorites in the East. Has your thoughts changed at all on that? And uh, just what is your overall thoughts on the Raptors in terms of? Do you think they're a team that can? Can keep up this pace and win sixty-five plus games and uh, and compete for the uh, the NBA Finals. Yeah, I mean, you know, you're right. I, I did think that Boston was uh, the better team at the time. Um, I still think Boston is underperforming, and they just have so much talent that you know, with Jalen Brown not playing as well and Jason Tatum looking like he's you know figuring things out a little bit himself, and Gordon Hayward getting back up to speed. Um, you know, I think that they'll end up peaking towards the end of the season. Um, but, you know, I, I think that this Raptors team has, you know, all the tools necessary to make a, a deep run in the playoffs. Uh, you know, I think that they're, they're already shown they're a great regular season team. So, you know, you know whether it's 60 to 65 wins, like, I, I can definitely see that happening. Um, I think that, for me, I would just want to, you know, once again, you know, being a Raptors fan and being burned so many times before in the playoffs... Uh, yeah, I kind of just hold my breath and, you know, want to wait and see um, how much of this is going to translate. You know, last season we saw it with a 59-win team that couldn't get it done in the playoffs. But, you know, obviously this year with Kawhi and Danny Green, who are former champions, and, you know, some of these youngest guys taking a step, you know, I I, I hope that uh, that means that it means uh, some playoff basketball in June in Toronto, but, uh, you know, time will tell. But I... I, I do think that they're right there with Boston, and you know Milwaukee's actually surprised me a lot. Um, I don't think that they're quite um, there yet, just because they're, they're so hot shooting right now. Um, but yeah, I think that you know Toronto, Boston, 
are still kind of at the top of the East, and Milwaukee's, you know, closely behind. Uh, you know, we discussed Philly earlier in this podcast, but we'll we'll see how they kind of mesh too. But I think that, like there's going to be some like really good, you know, second round and Eastern Conference final basketball in the East uh, for a change. <laughs> right. Yeah. The you know the last couple of years, it's all it's always been about uh, oh I'm I'm so excited for the the first round of the Western Conference. Now I'm actually. Uh, legitimately excited for the first couple of rounds in the East, as you said. There should be some some really fascinating series, and and I don't think it can be understated that uh, you know I, I totally get that uh, you've you've had some painful uh, post seasons in the past, but uh, I don't think it could be understated that the difference between uh, Demar Derozan and Kawhi is as good as Demar is. Exactly, and Demar's been fantastic in San Antonio so far this season. You know, happy to see. You know, the trades worked out pretty well for both sides, especially considering the position that San Antonio was in. Um, but, you know, when we saw the last time Kawhi played playoff basketball, you know, he had a 25-point lead against the Golden State Warriors um, before going down and just looked absolutely dominant. So if he can get anywhere close to that level again, I think that you know the, the East is really going to have to watch out for this team. Well, thank you so much, uh, Stephen, for uh, for coming on. This was uh, this was a blast, and I uh, I look forward to uh, to keeping up with the Raptors the rest of the season. I appreciate you uh, having me on. Thanks for listening to this episode of Duncan Dynasty. If you'd like to support the show, you can follow me and the program on Spreaker.com. That's S P R E A K E R dot com. You can also subscribe to the show on iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also leave a rating and review. You can email me at g-bougay, B-U-G-A-Y, at O-N-U dot E-D-U. You can uh, give me any questions, comments, concerns, compliments. Be happy to to hear from you, and uh, hopefully I can get back to you as well. You can get a hold of me on Facebook at facebook.com slash Garrett Bougay. Garrett is spelled with uh, two R's and two T's. You can also uh, catch me on Twitter at Garrett Bougay. I plan on airing episodes just about every Wednesday with occasional breaks throughout the uh, the entirety of the 2018-19 season, including the off-season. And uh, if, you're, if you're starving for more content, I urge you to check out any of my guests' previous material, uh, A lot of the guys I have on have their own podcasts as well and do a lot of interesting stuff. Thanks again for listening, and have a great day. Leftovers. Or... The DMV. Number 97. Or... House cleaning. Or... Chumba Casino always brings the fun. Play over a hundred different games online for free from anywhere. You could redeem some serious prizes. Chumba. ChumbaCasino.com. Live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Mobile phone companies say they offer home internet. But if their internet comes from a cell phone network, you should know. It's just phone internet, not home internet. Keep your home up to speed with Cox. Cox Internet is faster and has more reliable download speeds than 5G home Internet. Cox is the real home Internet you're looking for. Based on Cox analysis of UCLA speed test intelligence data, Q3 2022 and Cox serviceable areas, visit cox.com Internet for details.